0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe.
1: And I'm Eric Skoskauspo. Well, tonight,
0: gentlemen, we are talking about the Northwestern offense as we wrap up our summer previews. Uh, you know, We had our Northwestern defensive preview up. Uh, If you haven't heard it yet, give it a listen. A lot of great stuff in there. Tonight, we're talking about the offensive side of the ball. We'll talk a little special teams as well. Um, And then we are going to be ready for week one. Uh, Michigan State coming up on Friday night, uh, 8 o'clock Central. If you're there, uh, come find us. uh, John and I are going to be there. I believe we're actually going to be in the West lot. Um, not exactly sure where, but I, I believe week one, our tailgate will be in the West lot. So look for that red pirate flag. Come on over, say hi. Uh, we'd love to, to see as many of you as we possibly can. Um, I believe from there we'll be moving back to the, uh, to the South golf lot, uh, where we had, we've had a really good experience the past couple of years. That's where our, our passes are. But, uh, thanks to our good friend Jay with, uh, Lake the Posts, who was able to connect us with, uh a source that got us into the West parking lot for the Michigan state game. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um,
1: yeah. So, uh, but before we talk offense, I like not to timestamp this, this podcast, but like I I was Nebraska lost to Illinois today.
2: (laughs) I I was, I was going to not mention that to keep it evergreen, but yeah, absolutely. I, I was going to mention this specific thing because I just want you listeners to know that, because this is the offensive preview, and you know if you followed all the Big Ten previews, the Scuzz takes the lead on offense, and he's going to take the lead here too. I just like to point out that if in the past couple of weeks you listened to the Illinois preview we did, you heard Scuzz say, and I almost quote verbatim watch out if Brandon Peters goes down because Archer Sikowski throws a better deep ball and they're more dangerous. If he comes in, that's almost exactly what scuzz said. And that's what happened in this game. So you're in good hands, people.
0: So, yeah, I mean, what, what a start to college football. I mean, full disclosure, we are recording this on Saturday night, uh, Nebraska fell to Illinois. A um, couple other games going on, uh, and we'll talk about those, I guess, uh, next episode as we preview week one. But, uh, scuzz, we're here to talk about the Northwestern offense. A um, lot going on there.
1: Yeah, there is there's a lot happening. I mean, as much as John's preview focused on the potential change in scheme and just the, the, the chaos of prognosticating that um, the change from Hankowitz to Jim O'Neill – uh portends you know we have this is in some ways this is mike bajakian's first year as as offensive coordinator at northwestern i mean obviously he was running the show last season um he got a couple months uh like you know a couple weeks of spring ball even with with the team before everything shut down for covid but it was such a strange year he 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 really didn't have you know the opportunity to put in his full offense but um So it's going to be interesting what we see this year. I'll be honest, I don't think it's going to be dramatically different from last year for a couple of reasons. We'll get into it, but I think there's a lot of reason to be excited. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. At least, you know, with the offense, we have a bit of a sense on on what we might see. But I I have to imagine it's still going to be a run-first offense, even with the injury to Cam Porter.
1: Yeah, well... (sighs) That that's going to be fascinating because if there's one spot I'm I'm anxious about, uh, it is the running backs. I mean, you guys did a great job breaking that down after after the news that Porter was out. But we're not what you would call deep in the running back room right now. We got three guys. No. Um, you know, you're one injury injury away from being relatively paper thin there. So, but let's let's start with with last year's offense and and much like when I preview other teams, this is this is where I like to start. Like last year, Northwestern's offense was was not what you would call amazing. They were 93rd in S P plus. That was a great improvement from 2019 when we were 123rd in S P plus, but we did not see the sea change offense that we hoped uh, an offensive coordinator, a new offensive coordinator would bring. Obviously a lot of that is related directly to the amount of time that Bajakian had with the team. I think it's also pretty clear that if you look historically, Bajakian has generally gotten better in his second year and then Even better in his third year at every school he's been at previously. Uh, When he was at Cincinnati, they went from 62nd in S&P Plus in his first season, which, by the way, was after a wholesale coaching change and a bunch of departures, went to 48th the next year, and then 34th in his third season. Same thing at Tennessee. Started at 63rd, jumped all the way up into the high 30s in his second season. Uh, bc was a high 30s team in the NFL with the tampa Bay buccaneers so s p plus is not a thing that exists for pro football teams but dvoA is a pretty good measure of uh, uh, of team statistical prowess Tampa Bay's offense rated 18th in 2016 but arrives and they jump up to 11th in his second season as OC, they jump up to 12th, or they stay, I say, should say, at 12th, and then he leaves, and they fall to 21st. So, like, I, I reiterate all this, and I actually went back and listened to our Mike Bajakian podcast from uh, from, from after, right after the 2019 season to just refresh myself on some of this stuff. Like, there's a really good reason why we hired this guy. He generally produces really good offenses. I'm not suggesting that Northwestern is going to take, you know, 60 or even 30, um, a, a 30 or 60 place jump in S and P plus this year. But I think the track record here is one that, you know, would, would indicate there's an opportunity for improvement. One of the places stunningly where I think we can really improve is on offensive line. So here's, what's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. You look last year, the stats unequivocally say this offensive line was bad at run blocking. I think we know that that was not actually not exactly true. And I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to detail that in a minute, but yes. you look, <laughs> you look at the advanced stats and they say this offensive line was bad at run blocking. So we also know that S P plus is pretty terrible at predicting how good Northwestern is going to be <laughs> week to week. <laughs> so like, like all of this comes with a little bit of grain of salt, but like, Let's dig into it. So the flip side of that is that Northwestern's O-line was objectively phenomenal at pass blocking, particularly on third down. When you, you know, so let's peel it, peeling back the onion a little bit. Like what's really real is that we ran the ball really well in, in 20, in 2020, Uh, 160 yards per game, a little bit of a drop off from the one eighty we put up in 2019, but a but a massive increase from 2018 when the, when the offense was on in at least running the ball was 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 really poor, and that's obviously the year you know Jeremy Larkin started as, as the running back. Two games in was injured, didn't play. It took a while for Bowser to to emerge. We only averaged like 115 on the ground. Thorson didn't run much. Anyways, the revelation last year though in pass pro number nine nationally in passing downs on uh, sack rate. So we protected, this O-line protected Peyton Ramsey uh, um, amongst the, tenth, the, the top 10 teams in college football last season. Now, I want to I unpack those running stats a little bit, because like, adjusted line yards, which is generally the, the, the way that offensive lines are measured in terms of how well they're, they're blocking, um, we were 120th in the country. The power rate and stuff rate weren't great, but I think we saw with our own eyes that Northwestern was better than they Northwestern usually is, at least in those short-down situations. But there were four games where the Cats just could not run the ball last season. Iowa and Wisconsin, both great rushing defenses, and then Purdue and Michigan State. Now, Nebraska uh, was also a tough game, but we did get that, you know, Anderson did rip off that 50-yarder. But outside of that, we didn't get much in that game either. Now, recall some of our analysis last year, watching Isaiah Bowser in particular. He wasn't healthy, and we all knew that all season. But what we, what we observed in some of these games, there were clear plays where he had an option, reading the defense, as to whether he was going to stay on an inside running lane or bump outside the tackles. And he frequently chose to stay inside when he should have bumped out because he knew that he didn't have the speed to make the outside option work. And when Cam Porter took over in those last three games of the year, you saw this change immediately. You also saw the Wildcat formation boost the run. The point being here is that our offensive line was really doing its job in many of these situations, but didn't get credit because the running backs situation was, was not great. Now, I think you're going to see a lot of the same thing this year, and whether or not our running backs can take advantage of it is a question mark. But the O-line is even stronger than it's been. So last year they had to replace two, two starters. They're doing that again this year in Gunnar Vogel and Nick Urban. Uh, Charlie Schmidt was the sixth man last year. He's, I think, a really similar comp to Urban. Uh, size, recruiting pedigree, how he plays, he, he likely slides in at right guard immediately. Uh, replacing Vogel at right tackle, uh, right now it's like, likely Ethan Wiedekar. That's what we keep hearing. Uh, he made a bunch of starts at guard uh, the last two years and played some tackle too. Uh, you could consider keeping him at guard, but we have a close cousin to Man Bear Pete who has laid claim to that role and is Josh Priebe. Uh I say close cousin because the whole Preb is because uh, while Preeb isn't the athletic specimen that Skaronsky is, his ferocity is unmatched. Go watch his clips from high school, watch the Maryland game last year. This dude's mission in life is
2: to block back seven players off of their feet. And we signed those two guys in the same week too. That's the other reason we've always linked them in our mind. Pre- Preben Skoronsky, one of the great Northwestern recruiting weeks of
1: all time. <laughs> and they are gonna play side by side on the left side of the line. And I like Nick Urban was a great guard last year. Vogel, you know had his absolute best year. He you know I think I, th- I think he's playing with the Cincinnati Bengals right now. like he was he was really good. This line, to me, is is upgraded by getting a redshirt freshman, Josh Preeb, in there. And I, and I don't think you're losing too much on, on the outside, on the right-hand side. There's also a ton of depth. And this is, I think, what separates this year's offensive line from from years past at Northwestern. You've got uh, second-year player Ben Rayther. You've got Dom DeAntonio, You've got Payne Hebert. These are all really good prospects. You also have true freshman Caleb Tiernan, who is the highest rated player outside of Skaransky uh, from a recruiting perspective. This is easily the most talented offensive line on paper in many years, and certainly the deepest. Uh, The big question mark is who backs up the tackle spots after Zach Franks' injury uh, that that we all found out about last week. Based on height and pedigree, it's probably Rayther. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Tyrion out there if push comes to shove. The dude is six foot
2: eight. He's six eight, 300 pounds. He's a mountain of a human. He's being. he's, he's a freshman. Just, <laughs> that's really hard to to wrap my mind around.
1: Yeah, like, um, a dude that big as and, a freshman. And so like I, there's there's a possibility too that if Wiedekar struggles, they could try moving him back inside, and you could see Tyrion you know playing tackle. Either, either way, I just there's so much more here to work with for kurt anderson it's um i think year three of anderson do i have that right it, at least yeah i think so three, maybe four three was the fourth though he was just uh he was a uh, uh what do they call him consultants um it's year eight year nine i mean it feels <laughs> can we remember a time before the kurt anderson era well i can i choose <laughs> yeah. i would prefer not to but i can anyways um i you know i i think with Priebe and schmidt now what you have are are you know two really um athletic guards i think you could see a lot of the pulling action that we saw a couple years back i think uh you might see a lot of what you know we saw last year of essentially giving the running back the option um to go inside or outside i think you know when you look at the three running backs that we have hall with speed uh Tyus with power and Claire, kind of a nice mix of both um it's just going to depend on who's back there but I just I feel so good that it seems almost impossible to me that this offensive line is not going to improve statistically and uh it's 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 you know we're not we're not suddenly going to be um you know the greatest running team in the Big 10 but uh matching or um slightly exceeding last year I think is really plausible so I anticipate that you're going to see more of the the pulling guard action we saw in in like 2016, 2017, 2018 time frame with Preb and Schmidt, especially because, you know, Preb brings a fair amount of, of athleticism and, and loves to get to that second level. Um, this worked to incredible effect against Maryland last year. Again, uh, if anybody wants to go back and watch those highlights, um, it's the best O-line I think probably since like what 2011 when you had ben burkett al netter and and patrick ward on on the o-line but there's way it's way deeper you can't help but love the culture and the attitude that they've cultivated and it's yeah, just and a, that that i think is, is such a key it's just yeah. like the whole culture around the
0: o-line kurt anderson has really done a fantastic job just install
1: instilling that that nwo attitude it's, it's so cool to watch they're, they're, they're taking it to other teams, which is not something I think you saw Northwestern
2: do in, in in years past. I think, too, like, I I don't want to step on this too much because I know it's where we're going to go in a second. But you've already talked about it a little bit. I know some of you are listening and being like, yeah, if all of what you're saying is true, then why were we like, you know, 90 something in, in run blocking effectively. Right. And over 120th. the 120th. 120th, but then up to, oh yeah, 120th and adjusted. So this is, it's tough to say for a couple of reasons. One, because I think we're part of this group of people, not just within Northwestern, but wherever, who have always kind of had an allergic reaction to oversimplification, right? Which for so many years was like, if you're not running well, it's because you didn't have a good running back. And and, we would always be like, obviously, like, you only have to look at like a Wisconsin or whatever to know that like the line is what makes everything go, right? And... That because we always did that and because we're like, look, you really have to look at the full complexity of what's going on. A running game is, is more about the line than it is about the back. And then running in the face of that is the fact that since Justin Jackson left this school, we are the poster children for the exact opposite. Because running back has been as big of a disaster as it could have been over the past couple of years, during which we have won two West Division championships. And it's like, we'll go there in a second, but it's just like, just understand that like when you look at, at pass pro, and for example, I look at a guy like Peter Skoronsky and I'm like, he's to me a better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. The difference is, he had Peyton Ramsey helping him in pass pro situations. And he did not have the equivalent in run-blocking situations. And, I mean, and, you know, we we had real issues with personnel, particularly poor Bowser, who was just on a bum wheel out there. Um, but, but you know, so it's just one of those things where it's like, Scuzz is making a really great case of just how deep this offensive line is. And I think just understand that there's there's been that missing piece for the past couple of years and really you can really go all the way back to from when Jeremy Larkin got hurt to the tail end of last season, with the exception of that one period in the late 2018 where Bowser really stepped up for us. We've kind of been walking in the wilderness there. And I, I just, I think we're all in agreement that we don't put that on the line and that the line has continued to get better that entire time. So again, I'm just, that's just, I feel like there's a little smoke and mirrors there And it's just a long way of saying that, you know, we're all in agreement that we think this line is freaking awesome and has the potential to take another step.
1: Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I, the other interesting thing to think about is how the line fits into Bajakian's system. And when we, you know, like John, this is, this is stuff you were talking about a year and a half ago. uh, When you dig into the BC tape, when you when you look at the type of sets Bajakian likes to do, you described it as an offensive line coach like Kurt Anderson, like their dream, because it's a lot of heavy sets and he likes to run out of those heavy sets. He likes to pull the wide receivers in close to the line and he's super comfortable just running out of that and pounding teams. Not not like stupidly throwing the the running back into the line, like running smart RPOs and doing doing, you know, th- things with uh with tight ends to be multiple and uh, create you know different blocking schemes etc um and that like Kurt Anderson's cult the culture and the approach that they've brought on the O-line fits that perfectly like these guys are going to relish the opportunity to go bludgeon the, the other team and set up the play action that's so
2: critical to Bajakian's scheme and to, to your point earlier like there were definitely times last last year where they did do that and then the backs just kind of missed their windows. And that happened in a couple of different times. And I know it sounds, when we say that, it sounds like we're, we're picking nits or whatever and being like, no, don't throw the backs under the bus. Like if the line wasn't getting it done, they weren't getting it done. I don't know what to tell you. We've watched a lot of tape and there were a lot of missed options in a lot of these games. Um, in big situations. And, um, you know, and, you know, Purdue and Michigan State were two games where Two two defenses that really were kind of we should have been kind of outclassing. We were kind of done in from that. from from that perspective, but it wasn't because of what the line was failing to do. The line was moving those guys around.
1: We averaged two yards per carry against
2: Purdue. Yeah, and it was. It's just you 1, can go 1. back
1: one point seven against Michigan
2: State. You can cool. just go back and watch the clips of those, t- and it's again, it's it stinks because particularly with Bowser. Um, we we just love that guy. We owe him so much for what he did at the back half of 2018 for this team. And he did so much to help this team win a West title that year. And then was just playing on, on a bum wheel. He,
0: he was a shell of himself for, last year. Yeah, was, f- we, for two years, e- for, for two Did we years, ever basically. find out what was going on with him? I don't know that we did.
2: No. Um. But, I mean, there was... And and you know and of course it wasn't just him. Poor Jesse Brown. I mean, I was yeah. been watching a oh. lot of the, been watching a lot of the tape, being like, when when the backs available last year played, Jesse Brown looked kind of as good as any of them did, but he just wasn't able to play that much. And poor Bowser was out there trying to tough it out week to week. And it's just like so. Again, it's I I don't want to step on this because I know, because you're about to go here in a second. But there's but there's there's you know. Causes for both concern and optimism, I guess I would say.
1: Yep. So uh, before we get to running backs, let's talk tight end a little bit. Yes. Um, so I think I th- this is this is where I think the most potential like interesting differences may present this year versus last year with regard to Bajakian scheme. Um, we saw a ton of two tight end sets last year with Mangieri as like a close set blocker. Um, he also caught two touchdowns, uh, two really big time touchdowns. Uh, and then John rain playing in the slot where I, where I frequently confused him with Riley Lee's. I still don't know how that's possible. I think he might be listed as larger in the program than he actually is in real life. Um, Charlie's back. And, you know, I, I expect we're going to see him a lot, but I
2: want to highlight. Can I, can I tee you up real quick? Go for because We've, We've spent a, a bunch of time trying to discuss where Northwestern's going to find a giant productive pass catcher and we've done we've we've looked at a bunch of wide receivers and it occurred to me the other day that the answer might be staring us in the face and we just hadn't thought to bring it up.
1: Uh, yeah, so so I mean I don't know that Charlie's going to be that that massive pass, pass catcher but Thomas Gordon is a freaking gem. There's a lot of talk last spring about Gordon and his progress, his development, and the, the potential for him in, in Bajakian's tight end friendly offense is massive. Uh, he's six foot five. He's got the size to play wherever you want to put him. Um, this, this is the type of multiple player that you can have on the field and line him up in three or four different spots and do seven or eight different things with him and is it's going to be really fascinating like um you know the other thing the other thing John described about this scheme when it was BC it was like run 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 out of these super heavy tight sets and then all of a sudden it's four verticals
2: and Thomas Gordon going on Tom, uh, on on is, that kind of release like who is a bigger recruit and significantly better athlete than any guy Bajakian had at Boston College playing tight end.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, there's also Trey Pugh, uh, who's battled injuries his whole career, but is you know similarly regarded from a recruiting profile. Like He doesn't have the same size as Gordon, but is, is looked at as really good. And then Marshall Lang was a legit recruit, too, and, and does bring that size. So, like... That to me, this is almost the secret strength of the Cats' offense that nobody is thinking about. I mean, superback was a term that you heard, you know, s- s- every every sixth sentence during the McCall era, and we all kind of like did a little funny, you know, celebration when when it went away. But then also acknowledging that like Drake Dunsmore and um, Vitaly, and like there were so many guys that were Garrett Dickerson, like Dickerson, right, yeah, that were phenomenal players at effectively tight end but we were so excited with the Bajakian pickup as to how we were going to use these guys. Last year, you really didn't see it. I mean, Rain was essentially a wide receiver. He was essentially a slot receiver, um, a big slot receiver. But this year, I, I think you're going to see, um, you've, got, you've got more depth at tight end, and I think you're going to see more of these guys used in, in mixing and matching situations. And, you know, it's worth noting that, that while Rain was the third leading receiver last year in catches and yards, his yards per catch were low and he and Mangieri each caught two tight ends. So like all right, they each caught two touchdowns. So there's, there's a lot of potential here in my opinion. And um, I think, I think this is like, if you're, if you're into watching who's on the field at this time or that time and, and trying to discern some of what the offense is doing, watch the tight ends.
2: Absolutely. I just, it's funny Gordon, in particular, was a really big recruit. So, Gordon, for everyone who doesn't know, Gordon picked Northwestern over LSU coming out of high school. He was a massive recruit, and he's one of these guys who was a really big recruit. And you always heard about how fast he was and how good of a pest catcher he was. And then there was tape that came out in this offseason of him doing, I think, independent athletic skill training. Um, where he's like doing all these speed and agility, you know, things like on a turf field. And you're like, he's really fast. And somewhere in the middle of that, I lost track of how enormous of a human being he is. And then there was that video where they showed all the the guys coming up to the camera after practice and talking about their favorite food. And he comes up and he's like, I like steak. (laughs) And you're just looking (laughs) at him. And you're like, you're looking and you're like, Is that guy 6'10"? He's huge. And you're like, is that guy a defensive tackle? What is he? And he's a tight end. And it's funny, you mentioned the laundry list, right, of marquee tight ends Northwestern's had. I can't remember the last time, though, that we had a guy who looked like an NFL tight end in height and weight. Like, he's a matchup nightmare. In other words, like, we've had guys that big, but we haven't had guys that big that were like, the pass catcher right um well i mean like one could like I argue
1: a, that garrett dickerson was underutilized but yeah
2: well well garrett well and garrett but had a great wasn't garrett had a great big. frame but he was like six two six three right was he really and okay. so was and so was drake so was cam green what about
1: cam green as well okay yeah, yeah so we just so we just haven't had were, like the none of them we, we have had six
2: the, five right yeah the six we five. haven't had like a gronk or a kelsey exactly yeah, Gronk and Kelsey. There you go. No pressure, Thomas Gordon. <laughs>
1: let's <laughs> let's hold off
2: on that. Um a-
1: anyways, I'm, I just I'm just
2: saying s- similar frame. Oh yeah, I, yeah no. Yeah. I mean, it's just you're going to see an enormous human being out there running pass routes. And that
0: just creates such a mismatch. You know, that the, the matchup difficulties when you have a guy that big cuz the linebacker is not going to be able to cover someone who's 6'8" And can, and can run, and you can't pull a safety down on him. So how do you cover him? Right. We shall see. Yep.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's also worth calling out, like, John Rain was a fantastic ad last year because we needed a pass-catching tight end. We didn't, mm-hmm. and, and he brought a lot of um, experience and pedigree, et cetera, right? Like, he, he was in a similar offense to Pajakians down in, in, at Florida Atlantic, he only caught twenty four balls. Like that was third best on the is team. That it? But yes, it was like you in your head. It is a lot more, right? You had yeah. RC, RCB had forty one. McGowan caught thirty four. Uh, Rain was at twenty four and Lee's at twenty. And then you had you know Kurtz with six, Mangieri with seven, uh, Porter had nine. A couple other guys here and there, right? But like he wasn't. He felt like a bigger presence than he, he
2: actually was. Can I? just to interject something really here, that's a really good point you make and it definitely references the tight ends this year because the reason we think that is because Rain was such a factor in the machinery of the offense. How often did we see him do that shallow cross, right? Mm -hmm. That shallow delay cross or something like that where you're like, it felt like he was in on every single passing play because he was running that route as like an option or something. I only say that just because I'm like, you're probably going to see the tight ends featured a lot, whether they're getting the ball or not. Like, like coach Jake's going to find a way to use that. So
1: let's shift, uh, let's shift the running backs. And this is, this is the spot that I do have some concern. Like if there's, if there's, if there's, I know there's a lot of people wringing their hands about Hunter Johnson. We'll get there. But um, the running backs, it's, it's worrisome, and and, it, and it's because the Cam news was devastating. I mean, we, we talked earlier about the struggles Northwestern had in the middle part of their season last year to run the ball, and those those options where, you know, Bowser didn't feel like he could get to the edge, Drake just didn't have the power to fight through tackles, and then Cam hits the field against Illinois, and it is transcendent. He is he's taking those options. He's going to the outside. He's blowing through tacklers. He... He follows it up. I I remember distinctly pre- previewing the Big Ten championship and and laughing about how we weren't going to see any Wildcat against Ohio State and then <laughs> and then we barrel through Ohio State's defense with Wildcat you know on the opening drive and and score a touchdown and um you know later I forget which linebacker it was but but they referred to Porter you know the Ohio State linebacker referred to P- Porter as the toughest guy to tackle in the Big Ten and just like. It's, it's devastating to lose that guy. Um, he felt like a true ace in our sleeve that nobody was giving any credit for, you know, with all the returning production stuff. Um, now you guys did a really great job outlining how Claire is a legit do everything back. Um, you know, I think the comp to Akram Wadley is spot on. Um, Tyus is a Mack truck in the making, uh, Evan Hall has, you know, Evan Hall averaged 8.4 yards per carry last year, now a lot, a lot of that was against, you know, the um, the, the beat up dregs of, of defenses, so um, we'll see what he can do in, in some more primetime spots this this season, but, like, there's more things that these trio can do than they can't. And I think, you know, some of the years that we've struggled to run in the past, you you can see some things where you're like, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't have any top end speed in twenty eighteen. And we never really had, you know, X, Y, or Z at, at, at different at different points. We've got a lot of options here. And you, you saw the the quote from Claire, the three headed monster, you've got a power guy, a speed guy, and I can do just about everything. Um but I but I cannot pretend that that three headed monster, as good as it might be, is not a drop off from what Porter would have been. Now, hopefully, as we talked about before, right? The off, the offensive line maintains that excellence in pass pro and improves by some measure in run blocking. Um, again, I think going to the left behind Josh Preeb is going to work. <laughs> uh, they've got the potential, but you know, the bigger concern here that I have is what if a couple of these guys get dinged up? Like, like, do we see Coco? I don't. I don't think we see Coco. I think he's too important on the on the on the back end of the defense. Right? Is it? Uh, Ray Nero, does he come back from the wide receiver core? Is it Andrew Marty? Um, I and mean, we don't get to play Illinois every week, so this is definitely a concern. Uh, you know, the one other thing I'd mention is, uh, ironically, very similar to Akron Wadley after his first couple of years at Iowa, Claire has never really had to carry the ball, um, I don't think he's had much over, like what, 130 carries in his first couple of years at Bowling Green is what he topped out at. So he was he was splitting time,
2: and and he's, I, he's. let me let me just interject. Any back getting 130 carries for Northwestern in any season since Justin Jackson left is a great is a great accomplishment.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're not wrong. I mean,
1: Anderson ran like got 150 carries in 2019, and then you go back to. um like Bowser I think had like 230 or or maybe more in
2: uh right it's like 2018 like it's like we've been lucky enough to have like one back who got close or in that yeah. range and then last year we didn't have close to that yeah
1: i mean last year you had you know 81 for porter so r- roughly it's not quite double but um roughly double it so call it 150 for porter you know for a full season call it uh 125 for drake and then um another, uh, 140 for Bowser. So like, I mean, pretty even split across the three. Right. And I, you know, I, I think you're more likely to see, um, well, I don't know, I guess, I guess we'll like, that's another huge question mark. We just don't know who it's going to be. Um, I saw some people who I think are in the know, you know, posted a photo of, of Hunter and Hull standing next to each other. And, you know, made, like there's been some other people who have suggested they think Hull's going to be named the starter. I think you know from our I mean, stand. Fits pretty much. Fits pretty much said that he would be, but uh, but that, we but will it doesn't. What... It, it doesn't. Yeah, it whatever, doesn't mean, I mean anything. Yeah. So like the, like the starting it's not like back, quarterback, right? Yeah, it does not mean anything. Let me let me rephrase, rephrase that. I think the implication of those things has been that Hull's the guy, and I just I think it's going to be a, a back by committee, as you guys said. I think. When you think about the need for somebody with power and speed, which is what Porter gave you, Claire is the one that you would go with. Um, John, you've talked about Tyus as um, we, were, we were going back and forth on like what the comp is because I was I was looking at Claire and, and kind of thinking about Jason Wright in some ways. And then I was looking at Tyus and thinking, well, wow, is Tyus kind of like a Noah Heron? And you disabused me of that pretty quickly, but you described him as as Darnell Autry, but much slower.
2: Yeah, although Jason Wright is a good is also a good comparison. I think. It's funny though, we talk about him as this giant freight train and and who's something of an upright runner. When you hear the other players talk about him, like the other backs, like when Andrew Clare talked about him, I think in his interview with like he they he they bring up unprompted. I think Hull did this too. His one cut. So everyone seems to be very impressed with the way he cuts also. Mm-hmm. So, a guy who cuts really well and is built like a freight train and runs with power like that's that's called a good running back generally. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, so I it it, it it's going to be interesting to 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 see how this plays out. I think um there's reason to be worried. Like like if one or two of these guys gets banged up and our running game becomes extraordinarily anemic um I mean, it was pretty anemic. Like, like yes, Isaiah Bowser ran for close to 100 yards in every game, but the running the running game itself was pretty anemic in 2018. Um, we're going to be hard pressed to do the things we want to do this season if the running backs uh, really fall off a cliff. So that's like that's the and, big red flag for our offense. And honestly, it really
0: is a matter of not if, but when. Because there's like when was the last time you had a running back not yeah. get dinged oh, up at some point? I'm I'm point. Knocking, I'm I will knocking. knock on
2: wood furiously, but. I you know it's so and that that's the thing right because I think I I feel comfortable in saying and I know some people wouldn't go this far the group as it exists right now on paper I will take that group over the group that actually showed up in 2018 2019 or 2020 if we somehow had the ability to be like, these three guys will go coast-to-coast healthy, I'll take that over what we also had. We all remember— y- Yes. yeah
1: 100% agree, and that, that kind of dovetails. I made that comment earlier. Like, there's more things that this group can do than they can't, yeah, and that's it, spot on.
2: It, in in 2018, Jeremy Larkin finished third on the team in, in attempts, and he was hurt almost the whole year. Chad Hannaoka finished sixth on the team in run in rushing attempts. Not sixth among backs, sixth among players. Fifth was Hurt Solomon Vault switching back to running back. It was I mean, it was just a disaster. And Bowser carried so much weight for us. But then the two seasons since then, it's been Hurt Isaiah Bowser and Drake Anderson. That's what it's been basically for the last two years until cam emerged at the end of last season and it's like on paper the three backs we're coming into this year with uh are better than those three units if they stay healthy which again furious knocking on wood but you want to believe that you know the gods will give us a little bit something since poor cam porter is is already out of the mix here but um but yeah i mean i think in terms of talent i don't think we have reservations i think it's right the, the need for the unit to to stay healthy and you kind of hope right we get through MSU and then we can see a lot of uh, a lot of mix and match maybe over the over the non-con so 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 right there with that description
1: that you just made John of like i'd take this group over the group we've had the last 3 years um if if we could uh, uh, you know assure they would be healthy all season <laughs> in the last 3 years we run. We won two Big Ten West championships with a run-first offense, Oof. and now you can understand why being 93rd in S and P Plus last season, right? And I might add, 94th in S and P Plus in 2018 was just enough to get over that hump. So what we're talking about here is like you, we don't need this offense to jump up into the 60s. It'd be great if it would.
2: We're just. It would be great if it would. It's like we're feeling like it's like some people might be looking and be like, well, are you misreading North, are you misreading Northwestern's line? No, we're shouting up at the football gods for the love of God, give us a chance with this sick ass offensive line to have some good running backs go wire to wire healthy. Um, and we're pretty confident right. If, if that can just happen, this will be a great running
1: attack. So So let's get to the thing that I actually think people are completely overlooking. With Northwestern, and that's the wide receiver core, the much maligned, no returning talent wide receiver core. It's actually a fascinating group of players. So, we all know the top three are from 2020 are gone. Um, we were all enamored with the potential of Kyric McGowan, myself in particular, going into last season. Um, and Lee's was the top returning receiver from 2019, but it was RCB who put a real stamp on the season last year. Uh, his team-leading play, including five touchdowns, he was amazing. Um, especially, you think of him as kind of like an emerging deep threat, which is you know what we all thought was the potential McGowan had. Um, it was, it was, it was kind of a beautiful year from an, une- in an unexpected way from the from the receivers last year. No doubt, we are going to miss all three of those guys for their versatility and leadership. But that said, there's way more coming back than meets the eye. So in uh. I'm going to talk about this through in four in four sections. First, uh, Bryce Kurtz will almost certainly be a starter this year. He only had six catches last year, which is fewer than I I recall, frankly. Um, But if you go back and look, you'll be surprised by how big they were. Yeah. How many of those how many of those were in in the Citrus Bowl? I mean, he was noticeable in the Citrus Bowl. And he was Northwestern's best intermediate depth receiver after RCB by a long shot. He has good hands. He has nice size. He runs great routes. Excellent, excellent potential. He's really fast. By the way, he also played one year in high school with Hunter Johnson. Um, didn't have a ton of production, but his older brother was Hunter Johnson's favorite target. Uh, second, we've already heard Bajakian talking about short passes and getting about the ball quick. Um is a little disconcerting given what we all want this offense to do, which is throw deep more. But that being said, I expect a lot of opportunity for slot guys like Malik Washington, Berkeley Holman, JJ Jefferson. By the way, those are all returning starters, not from last year, but all returning starters. Uh, Maybe even Calvin C.J. Johnson, a.k.a. Starscream. Uh, You know, you're going to see plenty of double tight ends uh, for this team, but there's going to be three wide as well. And what you've forgotten since they were injured or didn't play in 2020 is that Holman and J.J., uh, Triple J, have played quite a bit in the two prior years. Triple J averaged 18 yards per catch on 10 receptions in 2018 and scored two touchdowns in both 18 and 19. Holman was a staple in 2019, averaged 13 yards per catch, better than any Cats receiver in 2020. Inside NU pointed out Triple J as their odds-on favorite to pick up a lot of production this year, and I could not agree more third depth. Wayne Dennis really looked the part last year. John just posted an awesome catch he had in the in the Citrus Bowl, like this beautiful back shoulder uh, at the sideline grab. Um like dude looks the part. Uh Genson Hooper Price remains like a massive and intriguing figure still, like this this 6-5 receiver that has yet to get on the field and and maybe he's got injuries and maybe we'll never see him. Um Claire Andrew Claire, the running back, is a dynamite receiver from the backfield, and all those tight ends that I talked about too. Not to mention, the top rated recruit, re- the top recruiting rated wide receiver on the entire team is true freshman Jordan Mosley. So there's a lot of stuff to work with here. And finally, fourth and, and yet, <laughs> and by saying this fourth, I'm really be- burying the lead. Is Stephon Robinson. In 2019, he had 700 yards, 16 yards per catch average, and 18 t- and eight
2: touchdowns for a putrid Kansas team. This guy's the best player on a Power 5 team. I know it was Kansas, but still. <laughs>
1: he, he could be the best player on our Power 5 team. I mean, like, like, you go and look at the tape. This guy burned Oklahoma DBs off of the line on the outside. He torched... Teams over the middle in the slot. He makes phenomenal cuts when running routes, but doesn't lose speed or fluidity. Um, He has great hands, can catch in tight windows. This dude can do it all. Yes, he got injured last year. You've seen him playing in camp unabated this fall. Like, he's healthy. If he stays healthy, my God, we haven't had a single receiver put up the stats that he did in 2019 at Northwestern since Austin Carr in 2016. Now Robinson differs the the, the fact the fact that
0: the social media team is like putting together ISO videos of him catching amazing
1: passes tells you a lot too. Yes it does. Yes it does. Now Robinson differs from Carr in one major way, and that is that he is a legit outside threat. Uh, He offers probably a better total skill set than any of last year's receivers, and that's not a knock on any of last year's receivers. This dude can just do it all. Um, He's he's you know he's not going to go up and win you a jump ball. Uh, against, you know, against a big safety, right? But that's not what we're asking him to do. Um, I think he pairs well, pa- pairs phenomenally well with the larger framed Kurtz and, or Wayne Dennis across the field, would which would be the guys that you would go, you know, ask to, to, to win that jump ball. Um, I'd be really remiss if I didn't mention the excellent profile that Bradley Locker did for Inside NU, highlighting uh, all these elements of, of Robinson's game, plus his blocking prowess. I mean, this dude is... is, is a legit talent coming to the team. I, you know, if I recall, we were pretty excited when the cats picked up, um, miles Schuler as a transfer from Rutgers because of a lot of the same things, the like the speed, we hadn't had a guy that fast in a long time. And then Shuler had no hands. Um,
2: and still, but, but I mean, was still like a big factor, but it was just still like, a big factor, but Robinson, a, like Robinson has hands for miles. Uh, I like, Just understand, in, what was it, 2019, I guess, uh, Oklahoma came, you know, when Kansas played Oklahoma, Oklahoma was like, we're way better than this team. The defense must have had a meeting where they're like, just understand, Kansas can only do one thing. They have this guy they'll try to take the roof off with and throw it as far as they can to him. That's it. So just don't let that thing happen. And then that thing happened multiple times because he's so fast that he just dusted their cornerback. Like Oklahoma had nothing else to target except him. And he still did it. I'm just, yeah, dude is, it's like, I think of like Venric. Some dudes just have cleat speed where it's just like, like, I don't know what guys run in track, but some guys on a football field are just you can just see it it's just a different degree of speed and that's him he's just ridiculously fast there is injury risk there right he's
1: coming off of an injury he seems healthy now but um between him and triple j we have two legit deep threats we have a bevy of slot guys kurtz dennis and the larger possession type guys the tight ends This is an incredibly diverse set of options at wide receiver and tight end for Bajakian to play with, which is exactly what Bajakian wants to play with. Mm -hmm. This is awesome.
2: Yeah. I, to me, I think, you know, to go back to, we briefly mentioned it earlier, but I think we're really kind of circling Dennis only in terms of like, you look at what happened with RCB and the way he emerged. Dennis is, is even a, a larger frame receiver and you kind of need one of those like ball magnet ball vacuum big frame kind of guys to emerge you can look at a Kurtz and just be like okay he's he's a Flynn type like you can slot him in. he's Riley Lee's like you see that role right um and you you see what we have in Robinson I think we want that big bodied guy um you know we don't like you said we don't know exactly what's up with Hooper Price. We've seen those flashes though from Dennis. Like Dennis really could be that guy, yep. and he just hasn't had the chance yet. And He does. And then again, just to circle back, it's like don't rule out Thomas Gordon being that guy either. Thomas Gordon's gonna run downfield routes, the kind of routes Bajakian wanted to run at wide receiver. So it's like if you if if the issue is we have to find a massive ball catcher, there are options there too. Like that that guy exists. I, you know you mentioned. Robinson injury re- at risk. I mean, again, you hope Triple J is healthy too, because Triple J is that's a guy you know. Triple J's made massive catch, you know, massive catch in the Nebraska game, the you know, in 2018. Like he's a a decorated dude with with big catches. Um, I want to say Hunter Johnson did not have a lot of highlights in uh, 2019, but I do remember the pump and go against. UNLV. And I feel like that was triple J also, um, filling that deep route role. But you know, if, if he's healthy and if, if, if Robinson's healthy, yeah, we got, we got guys for days here and right. It's this question of just like, who's going to see the field, right? Like is a Mosley, are we even going to get to see him? I don't even know.
1: I don't either. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, given, you know, the new red shirt rules, if, if, if we give, you know, even someone like Mosley a little bit of, time out there in the early part of the season but um the point remains i mean we've got you know i i say this every year and i say it a lot of times in other previews you need to build your wide receiver core like you build a basketball team you've got to have different types of guys different body types different strengths different speeds to create matchup problems right and uh, this is the problem michigan state have all has all their receivers are identical same with iowa um wisconsin to a degree right like we have a whole bunch of of different receivers and um and good ones and proven ones and this this endless you know uh as j as jay would say you know lazy uh reporting on northwestern loses all their receiving all their receiving production is um
2: it's a misnomer i i am curious to see and i'd be curious your thoughts on this the Kyric, the Kyric role on this team in this receiver core. Do you think like Do you think Malik fills that role, or do you think it's going to be by committee or what? I think it's going to. So, my my um
1: my knee jerk would be to say Malik, and it's because of the comments Bajakian was making about him last spring. Or last fall, I'm sorry, like that he looked like somebody that could really make a make a name and I'm 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 blanking on the guy that Boston College had that uh that we expected McGowan to basically just like kinda of fill out. Flowers? That role. Flowers yeah, 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 Zay Flowers. I think that's I think that's right. So like when we were looking at Bajakian's BC offense and kind of projecting what would happen in Northwestern, we thought the McGowan role, you know, jet sweeps and handoffs and moving all over the field and whatnot. Like as the year went on, that kind of became rcb if you think about he had the uh he had the um was it rcb on a jet sweep for a touchdown against purdue or or some some other type
2: i mean we ran it a lot with kyle yeah he did get a lot
1: of that but there's some kind of like drag play with rc i mean rcb had three touchdowns in that game right um but it was him that was the one that ended up being you know the the swiss army knife for for northwestern's offense um and just kind of used all over the, all over the field and McGowan just never seemed to, I don't know, get comfortable or whatnot, but, um, but yeah, my, so I would, I would bet Malik, um, you saw Berkeley out there, you know, early last year and then he got, he got dinged up almost right away. Um, it's pretty hard to not look at Calvin Johnson's skill set and think, wow, like we're certainly going to, we're certainly going to see a little bit of test drive there.
2: It's funny because nah. like knee jerk is like part of it. You want to say like d- now granted I'm watching. I've just because again, we already mentioned off the top that Illinois game watching Isaiah Williams playing, you know, running jet sweeps for uh, for Illinois and being like, well, he's clearly the fastest guy they have. So would we do that with Stefan Robinson? And then it's like to everything Scuzz has been saying we don't have to. We have yeah. other guys that can do this. You can leave that guy out on out wide to stretch the defense.
1: Yeah, I th- there's a ton of speed in the slot and 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 whether it's Malik or I mean Triple J could play that role. Um Yeah, I there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of options. I I wonder if I mean I wonder if we see less of that this year and and more of a focus on the tight ends and the big bodies um and more of that, you know, run hard and heavy and then throw over the top as opposed to the
2: the horizontal stretch that would be fascinating i mean we do have the ability to to do i mean it's like you think about that you're like well could we do that and it's like we have all the pieces we easily can put two guys out wide that can take the top off a of defense we easily can put two massive pass catchers next to the trench cats um yeah yeah and here and here's the thing by way of transition we have a
1: guy starting a quarterback who has a rocket launcher for an arm and is mobile enough to extend plays An offensive line really good at, at protection. Um, there's no reason that we, that, that, I mean, I think we're going to have to see them get comfortable with it, but there's, there's no reason mental mistakes, notwithstanding that we don't have all the tools to, to have a downfield attack. So so let's talk about Hunter. <laughs> let's do it. Ferrari time. Um, here's the thing, folks. 2019 was brutal. And I, and, I, and I know everybody's scarred from it. I'm scarred from it. We, we, all three of us have joked many times in the last 12 months that we should just forget about 2019. I think John yeah, we literally actually forgot did. about 2019. <laughs> <laughs> in in some, some stats at one point, Hunter struggled in just about every way. Um, you know, when you go back and look... And we, we saw it in the Stanford game. We saw it in the UNLV game. The three of us talked about it ad nauseum on the podcast. Like, the physical tools were so clear. We called him a Ferrari. He was and he still is. He did not know how to drive the speed limit, let alone go fast, in 2019. Uh, but he's had 20 months with Bajakian. And as bonkers as those 20 months have been, I think it's the longest he's had the same offensive co- coordinator in college. I think he only had, like, roughly 16 months with uh, um with McCall I, I, I could be my math could be off on that but regardless like he's had he's had time with Bajakian I think it is so it is so clear to me and and this is through a combination of the the bits and pieces that I gleaned from um the video that that Northwestern Studios put out a couple weeks ago on the 2020 season unbelievable um, video by the way but, I'm seriously... oh my god Go yeah, good. watch
0: good, clean American fun. Yes. Oh, my God.
1: I laughed. I cried. It was, oh, my God. I ran through my wall. It was incredible. Um, but so there's some bits and pieces in there, bits and pieces that you've seen in different Bajakian interviews. It is it is it is apparent to me that he perceived his very first priority when he arrived at Northwestern fix Hunter Johnson. And then Peyton Ramsey fell in their lap, and I think it was the best possible thing for everyone because it allowed Hunter to just sit back, not worried about it a bit. John, you pointed to the Mike Kafka experience as as the equivalent, and it, it, it could not be more
2: spot on, because
1: for those who don't remember— of, None
2: of us were psyched about Mike Kafka taking over. His... Mike Mike Kafka was—it
1: <laughs> was, um, it, was it, it, it did not go well. I, I mean, if I—, I, if, I his... It was, it was just—I mean, it was bad. So it his, was just flat out bad. So that first year, if I if I I'm I'm gonna get my years mixed up, but there was the year that CJ Bechet wasn't like eligible until game five
2: or something. He ultimately was the guy who came out of the utter disaster that was the start of that year.
1: Yeah, but but he couldn't play because he was transferring from Oregon State and he couldn't play the first few games.
2: And it was and Kafka so, and Brewer, yep.
1: Yeah, and Kafka and Brewer were playing, and by some miracle we beat nevada and then we lost to duke i think and i can't, I can't remember what all happened but what i distinctly remember that season was um Bechet going down against indiana and kafka having <laughs> oh, to come boy. in to cover for him and fumbling the snap and then throwing it backward and i like i can't remember if indiana missed a field goal or if we actually won that game um but uh but regardless like When it became his time, we were all really anxious, and then he was amazing. The other thing that everybody forgets about 2009 is that Northwestern could not run the ball to save their lives. And we spent the first half of just about every game throwing poor RB Fields into the teeth of the defense and and getting no yards. And then in the second half, being, oh, God, we need to score points, taking the reins off of Kafka and just letting him go crazy. And he annihilated the Big Ten. It was awesome. And his, that experience is a perfect example of how a quarterback can grow and mature over time. I'd also like to point out Zach Kustak was really bad in 1999. Um, the Baz era did not start on a great foot. And Clayton Thorson's freshman year, where only the turnovers and the defense were better than 2019. So this is, you know... This has happened many times, and I think like there's a lot of people looking at Hunter and looking at his completion rate, looking at his interceptions, and saying, how can he possibly get better? A couple weeks ago, we previewed Illinois, and I made a lot of disparaging comments about Brandon Peters. And you might be saying, well, what's the difference, Eric? Why, why is it impossible? Why, why is, you know, Peters a baked commodity and Hunter's not? And the reason is we've seen three seasons of Brandon Peters, and his completion percentage has been below 55% every time. With Hunter, we've seen one catastrophic season where like everything that could possibly go wrong for this guy went wrong on and off the field. Now, it's, it's pretty clear to me that on top of all of that, that the QB room in 2019 was not very disciplined. Um, I think that's probably what McCall got uh, let go for more than anything else is that, I mean, you heard Fitz refer to things like whether it was Hunter's injury or TJ Green's injury like a like a bunch of guys didn't think they were gonna play and they weren't prepared and I think I think that was a probably a rampant problem problem in that in that QB room and I I'll be honest when I saw that they had named Hunter Johnson starting QB I was pumped and I had I had accepted and been excited about the idea of Ryan Holinsky being being our starting quarterback but here's the thing like we've named a starter in advance three damn weeks in advance of the opening game that's the first time that we've done that since 2017 when it was just known that clayton thorson was going to be the starter do you think fitz is playing mind games do you think he has abandoned his stubborn irish heritage there's no way if he's naming hunter this far in advance it's because the dude is performing and he's stepping up in his leadership and mental aspects of the game that's what that's what Fitz cares about most. And that's what Hunter struggled with the most in 2019. It wasn't about, you know, I mean, yes, it was about learning McCall's playbook. But it was about the fact that he was throwing picks because he didn't understand McCall's playbook. And he was making the wrong decisions. And he was taking sacks. That was, that was why they, they struggled to name him starter in 2019. I remember us going into that season and thinking, gosh, it's strange that Hunter's not a captain. Usually the starting quarterback is a, is, is a captain. And that was, the, that was the second domino when I saw Hunter's name on that captain's list that came out last week. I'm just, I'm just stoked. I can't wait to see how this plays out. Three major points. One, Bajakian wanted Hunter out of high school. That says something, and it's clear that when he got to, day, to, to NU, his job was to fix Hunter. Well, now he's had a year and a half to do so. Two, go watch the sick rope that Hunter Johnson put on Stefan Robinson's hands in practice the other day. That's the arm talent I'm talking about. That's what we all saw at the beginning of 2019. And then three, one or both of Ryan Holinsky and Andrew Marty are ready to go. Should Hunter falter or get banged up? This isn't the, oh God, save yourselves moment that 2019 turned into. There's legit talent experience and clear leadership traits, clear leadership traits. All the interviews, my God, these guys are like, like we have three legit QBs with, Uh, waiting in the wings with obvious camaraderie between each other and the team. Like we are in infinitely better shape at the quarterback position here in 2021 than we were in 2019. And we just need to be 93rd in S and P plus or better. One
0: other thing, not to let's not diminish the role that Peyton Ramsey had in helping Hunter. Yeah, totally. Like Ramsey came in and was able, and like that took pressure off Hunter. Hunter was able to sit back, and watch Ramsey, you know, watch what a senior leader is able to do. Uh, Coming in from Indiana, he transferred, Hunter transferred, similar situation. I mean, obviously last year was weird in all aspects of everything, but the fact that Hunter could kind of sit back and learn from Ramsey all all season long without having the pressure of like, now you got to get in here and perform.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna jump on that. No, I, I yeah. think that no.
0: that's another another thing. A hundred, hundred
1: percent. So in 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 2019, you had T.J. Green, who had been in the system for a long time, but was was really physically limited in what he could do. Clayton Thorson had been the starting quarterback for four years, had played literally every game, minus you know a handful of uh, of plays when he was getting back up to speed in 2018 and then and then of course the second half of the bowl game when when Matt LVD came in um and you know i think what was so critical about Ramsey last year is a how much he wanted to be at northwestern but b how much um just how much of of an innate leader he was and i think i think he really showed uh all these all all these guys in the room like obviously not helinski cuz he wasn't here but um marty and Hunter, what it, what it, what it takes and what it, and, and that you needed to be more than just, you know, a really talented player on the field and know the playbook. So, um, you know, I, here's the, here's the really real though. Like, like, does this all mean that I think Northwestern is just going to start throwing bombs early and often, and we're going to, you know, turn into, to Alabama North. No, I do not believe that that is the case. Um, everything you've heard Bajekian say in the last two weeks, especially since the Cam Porter news is we're going to get the ball out quick. We're going to take advantage of what Hunter Johnson does best. Um, now, again, there's two way, two ways to read this. You could say, oh, God, here we go again with the Mick McCall JV offense. Or you could say, wow, an offensive coordinator that can adapt to his player's strengths and just limit their exposure uh, versus just limit their exposure. Now, maybe that's harsh. Uh, but Bajakian's comment to me illuminates that he and the staff recognize Hunter is the most talented player that they have and he's and they want to unlock that because that's what's best for the offense and they're going to mold and tailor what they're doing on the field to, to to meet his strengths that's a gargantuan difference from 2019 that should have major ramifications for the turnover rate which is critical we cannot turn the ball over like we did in 2019 if that if that if Hunter is struggling with turnovers, I guarantee you're going to see him pulled for for either you know for Marty if that means we go back to like an all running attack or or Holinsky, um. But I just like again like reading between the between the the lines here, it's all positive, folks. Um, the other aspect uh, that that I look at something that was hugely successful last year was Ramsey's ability to make play, plays with his legs. Uh, you think the Ohio state game, the Auburn game, big time running plays. Hunter is a better runner. He has a much better arm. I'm betting he's improved dramatically on the mental side since 2019. And I think we're going to be in really, really good shape.
0: So there you have it. I mean, any questions that, I mean, that, that really tells a, a wonderful story. Uh, and, and I think should make everyone excited about what we're going to see on Friday night.
1: I mean, I like worst case to me is that we, we kind of match what we did last year. Um, There are too many reasons to me that this offense should build on what, on what they did last year. I mean, some of it is, I think we have, I think we have more in the wide receiver room for two thirds of last year. Uh, or compared to two thirds of last year, we've got more in the running backs room. I think the offensive line should progress. Um, you know, will will Hunter play better than Peyton Ramsey. I I don't know. Um, I think like net net probably even, I think Hunter's going to make more mistakes. He's probably going to turn the ball over a little bit more than Ramsey did, but there's more he can do. I mean, think about that, 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 that Nebraska game, right? Where. Or even the Iowa game where where Peyton really struggled to control the ball with the wind. That ain't a problem for Hunter Johnson, right? No, no, not at all. So, so I'm I'm looking at this offense as you know, with with Robinson, with the physical tools and the maturation of Hunter. Another year with Bajakian, who almost who always gets better in his second year. I might remind y'all the improvement of the O line, the diversity of talent in the wide receiver core. Yes, running back's a concern. But I feel like matching last year is attainable and is is kind of the floor to me. And improving on last year is absolutely in the cards. And let's say we get up to 80th in SP Plus, 70th in SP Plus. I mean, we're right where we want to be competing for this division. Does that mean we're gonna beat Wisconsin, even if we get to 60th in SP Plus? No. But um, we have every reason to believe this team is gonna be in the mix Based on what we see on both sides of the ball,
2: yeah, I, I think I think the ceiling's high here, and I think t- to your point, and, and it, it circles to what we've all talked about. Like everyone, you get scared because of things that have happened in the past, and because you know we'd all be looking at the running back room right now, even down Cam Porter, and feeling much more confident if we had not experienced what we've experienced in that running back room relative to injuries over the past three years, right? And and Hunter Johnson, I think. It's it's everything that happened in 2019, only a portion of which was related to Hunter Johnson, that colors everything we think about Hunter Johnson. Just a you know, random thing I was thinking about. It's like Hunter Johnson only started five games that year, folks. And I think people have in their mind, oh, you know, uh, Hunter Johnson's played before. Ryan Holinski's played before. In Ryan Holinski's year playing, he, he attempted almost four times as many passes as Hunter Johnson did. It's not close. Hunter Johnson just wasn't on the field that much. You remember the low moments, but we choose to view it. Everything good. said, we choose to view it as Hunter Johnson came out um, and straight up won a competition against a really talented, touted incoming transfer who threw 408 passes uh, two years ago for South Carolina in the so, SEC. Yeah, in the SEC, and Hunter Johnson won that competition. And and kind of as one last little aside, just. You know, if you followed Hunter Johnson or not, he's not like organizing team barbecues in his free time. Kind of a quiet guy. Uh, This is a guy who went out on the field and won this job and won his captaincy and everything Scott said. Like, obviously, he's growing. He leads in his own way. He 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 leads by example. And he's just a quieter guy. But just understand, like, this is not the most raw, raw guy in the world going out and straight up winning the competition over a guy who's thrown four times as more passes in college, who is a raw, raw guy. And again, I think divorce yourself from the mess that was 2019 and just be like, this is, you know, right. It's embrace the Mike Kafka of this, embrace the possibility. And yeah, I think you add it all up and, and, you know, everything we said a while before we got to QBs, but If the backs can just stay healthy, furiously knocking wood again, um, I think this team's got everything it needs on offense.
0: Uh, So let's quickly touch on special teams. Um, Obviously we have no idea who's going to be returning punts and kicks. Uh, That'll probably change a lot. Uh, Charlie Kubander's back for another year. No reason to think he won't be our primary kicker. Derek Adams back uh, as punters. So,
2: I veteran would, kicker, veteran punter.
0: Yeah, I would both, I, both pretty good too.
1: Yeah. Like Kubander had some had some misses, but um Derek Adams was a weapon for us last year.
0: Yeah, and yep. uh we got Trey Finson, uh Trey Finnison who's you know there. He's he's seen a little bit of time as well. Um yeah, I mean I special teams is will be what I whatever it is. I think we know what special teams is gonna be. It's been what it's been the past couple of years.
2: And you know Charlie is a guy who I think a couple years ago, right? There were some issues, and then we found out after the fact that he was kind of banged up. Um, and we need him to to stay healthy, obviously, of course, too, which you hope with kickers and punters that doesn't factor into the equation. But um, yeah. Well, well, in the backups, a dude named Jack Olson who could have gotten scholarships at a lot of places and came to NU. He's a high-end kicker. Mm-hmm. So, so. Yeah, we have options there, and then it's funny we say no idea who's going to be returning kicks. You might almost rephrase this: we have zero idea who's returning kicks because zero may be the guy returning kicks for us, <laughs> Coco Azima. Um Quite possibly, we'll see. Quite possibly. Again, I think we we kind of been talking about this before. I don't know if we mentioned in the defensive preview, but um, you know. I I suppose the way Coco gets used in that role or in returning punts may factor into the way that they plan to use him at safety and how much they plan to use him at safety, et cetera. So, so many moving pieces. And of course there's, we got other super fast dudes who can return punts and kicks. So we're going to see
1: Stefan Robinson. Now I, I don't love the idea of him being back there on kick returns, but he did return 11 kicks for a 22 yard per average uh, for Kansas back in twenty twenty nineteen, 2019. Um, I think you're probably more likely to see, uh, to see a triple J or, or a, um, or a Malik Washington or, or something like that there, that back there, or, or Coco, like you said, John, but, uh, you might see Robinson back there on, on kickoffs.
0: All right. So that, that's the offense. And, uh, we're, we're pretty much in game week here now, boys. Um, Michigan Woo-woo! state coming up Friday night, eight o'clock central, watch it on ESPN, listen to it on WGN 720. Um, you know, Dave Emmett's back again. Uh God, that guy is just amazing. Unbelievable and he's he's been there as long as we have, if not longer.
2: Um oh, yeah, Signif- <laughs> I mean, significantly longer. There's I a remember he's call- Mr. Cat, right? I remember, you know, I vividly have his his call of victory right in my head. So that goes back to at least to when we were in college. Um But yeah, it's we're in the pipe five by five, boys. This is uh, it's 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 getting up to it. Yeah. And I think obviously we're recording this after the first Saturday of college football of the year. So we're already kind of into it. We've seen two Big Ten teams play. Um, I think we're we're, (laughs) not feeling like we stack up with both of those teams. (laughs) Let's put it that way. And they both happen to be in the West. Um, But the. But yeah, I think the, the closer we get and we dig in all this, obviously, it's it's the nerves and everything. But, um, you know, I, I think I know some people came back after the defensive preview and were like, oh, you guys sure are like, you know, you're making me feel good. I'm glad you guys are so pumped. I want to be that pumped. And it's like, well, we're not just doing it to do it. We're not just getting pumped up to get pumped up. Um, we truly believe that this is a really good team, that there is a lot of that not only is there a history of people underrating Northwestern, but that people are specifically doing it this season. And we just feel like we know we've got it. We feel like it's good. So we'll be back later in the week for
0: a uh, week one preview, uh, and kind of get back into Michigan state a little bit. Uh,
1: see what we know. We'll probably talk Northwestern's whole schedule too, and put a little, yep. A little prediction action out there yeah and uh then friday night Ah, oh, man
0: it, it's less than a week boys it's less than a week i i'm so excited
2: and and you know we'll be saying this again in our in our preview before and sam already said it off the top we'll be saying it in our next pod prior to the game but we're gonna be in the west lot people the the, the pirate flag will be flying and uh colin you need to come say hi to us we'll be there um it's going to be an awesome Friday night, but uh, come come say. Sam and I will be there, so come come give us a give us a, a, a shout, and uh, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight.
0: Head to our website, westlottpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Westlot Pirates, and email the show, westlottpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flag, the red pirate flag. Because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scaspo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.